Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. This is a news show where we're going to tell you things that happen and then argue about those things that have happened in the F1 world. I'm also joined by Matt Two Rumpets. Hello, Matt. Hey there, Spanners. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm all right. The weather in the UK, weather update, very, very wet. It's nice weather ah, for cranes. That sounds good. It's like minus bazillion D here. Yeah, don't worry. After the wetness, we do have a period of ice to look forward to. So we'll have similar conditions to the race of champions that was on. And I, I didn't catch any of it. Is it is it worth going and finding, do you think? Um, I don't know. Uh, I think it had its moments. Yes, I didn't watch it myself, so I couldn't comment. But people on Twitter seem to got to get very excited about it. So it has that going for it. Do you think it was more exciting than the Haas launch? Because... You, you you feel the build-up to these launches. They let Haas go first, which doesn't seem like a tactically sound move. And it was just, it was a picture of an early development car in broadly the same colours as last year. I was completely whelmed and it has sucked all my enthusiasm for future car launches. I'm sorry if we're trying to equilibrate the field. Letting Haas go first is possibly the only thing we can do to give them a chance. So... If I was the FIA and I was trying to get everybody excited about the launches and the 2022 yeah. car, I would have asked all the teams to, to tell me first, show me your homework, show me what you're planning to do for the launch, and then we'll decide the launch order. It just feels like, oh, the first F1 car of 2022, the most spectacular regulation change in a long time. This is going to shake everything up. And then they let Haas go first. And it just made, I think the whole reaction was, just a universal whew. right and and i think it's really the problem is computers 
once upon a time, you had to have an actual car that had some bits attached mm. to it. And so it was closer <laughs> to what you might see at testing. And now I'm just going to guarantee you, we probably won't see more than about 70% of any car till like the last couple of days at Bahrain, because no team wants to give any other team any kind of advantage if they thought of something clever. I'm not expecting to see like the technical details. I'm not expecting to see all the aero strikes, but at least give me your driver sat on the tyre looking happy. I mean, that, that's that got to be the minimum for a tyre launch, hasn't it? For a car launch? Make some Ooh, fireworks. Now you're talking my language. Well, it is a new tyre, so maybe Pirelli should do their own 2022 launch. I give, like it. Give each driver a tyre to sit on, and Pirelli can be like, ooh, see how they seem to be seated slightly higher than other pictures of F1 drivers on older F1 tyres. Yes, I like it. I'm going to remind everybody that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're joined in the shed by young Chris Stevens. Hello, Chris. This is technically your third missed apex in a row. I know the lucky boys and girls have got to enjoy me for three weeks running. Just careful what you wish for. I was so happy in 2022. We'd have more Chris Stevens. But now, three weeks in a row, uh, it feels a bit much, to be honest. Okay. I'll I'll go away. Yeah, we'll catch you in April for the Missed Apex Karting, where you are going to be present as our on-site commentator. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm so jazzed (laughs) and amped for this it's been way too long and i'm just i'm so excited to see everyone again to go and see some good karting and to go and yell into a microphone again and the entire missed apex crew has suddenly gone april 30th that's three months away and went straight to the bathroom scales because we will be in (laughs) go-karts and on camera and the entire crew is on a diet i'm joining in as well because the last time we did one of these i was a lot thinner yeah and i don't want to look bad in the photos so we we don't we don't want to have to change to an ultra wide Zoom, <laughs> zoom out lens, do we? Uh, fantastic. We're also joined by Alex Van Jean. He was gone, but now he's back. Yes, I have made my decision to return to Mr. Apex podcast for this year after being silent all the way through preseason. Gonna, yeah, but what were you trying to imply with your silence in the off season? Were, were you playing mind games with uh, for F1 Sake podcast? No, I was avoiding all the toxicity of Twitter <laughs> because wow, what a place that was after every derby. Yeah, it's been it's definitely been a thing. Uh, tell you what, let's get straight on with the big dirty news. Big dirty news. So, of course, the big news in the F1 world is that Lewis Hamilton has broken his silence. Uh, whoop, whoop. He took he took <laughs> guess who's the Hamfosi on the panel. He he took a long break off of social media. Uh, people were looking into that and trying to tease out whether it meant he was considering a rest from Formula One, retiring from Formula One, or was simply just a bit mardy after what happened in Abu Dhabi. And although I am known for my fierce and stoic neutrality, I'm going to confess something to you guys here live on the podcast. I am a Lewis Hamilton fan. I do support Lewis Hamilton. I tell you that I do. If this was a football podcast, there would be no problem at all with me having a team. If this was a football podcast and I declared to you, Colchester United is the greatest team that has ever lived, apart from agreeing with me, 
you would also accept that that is part of football, that everybody supports a team or a driver. But for some reason, Chris, it's always a problem in the F1 space. I support Lewis Hamilton. You can listen to this and you can judge my words knowing that I've admitted that. I'm just so confused because you've always said to me privately that you were such an Alpine fan. Yeah, to me it was all about Renault. But when they when when a beatable you know led that charge, you know me. I was I was wrapped in blue and yellow for years and years. Yeah. And, and then and then when it became Alpine, I was like, wow. I didn't think it could get better, but it did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, what I say to everybody here on the panel is, tell me which drivers you're rooting for. It's sport. It's natural. You're gonna root for a driver. I hope that we still are reasonably objective when we talk about incidents and when we talk about the sport, because I'm not here just to have my favourite driver do well and to fight my corner. I'm not on Team Lewis Hamilton, but my biases are going to creep in. And I'd rather, Chris, that people knew about them than just kind of sneakily trying to subvert the conversation. Can I can I say something kind of serious for once? Oh, no. Which is... Uh, no, the... let's move on. No, of course. No, only kidding. Go on, Chris, please. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I really thought you'd done me dirty for a second there. Um, <laughs> I, I genuinely, this sort of hooliganism that has entered into Formula One, I have a genuine yeah. problem with it because uh, at the British Grand Prix, you should be able to go and sit next to Ferrari fans and Williams fans and... Alonso fans and anybody and you should all just be able to get on and have a good time and respect yeah. the the rivals that you have and this this whole yeah this this new f- fandom I, I, think, I, I think I don't enjoy it it is my short way of putting oh. it I don't enjoy it Matt I, I like the should, but to my memory, when you have supporters of different clubs going to the same stadiums, that always works out really well when like the one fan is seated in the big section of the <laughs> other fans. Like there's never any uh, altercations or misadventure, shall we say. There's certain sports where it works, certain sports where it doesn't. Certainly cricket and rugby in the UK, you can definitely sit in and amongst fans. You don't want to end up in the wrong stand for the wrong football match, especially if it's local rivals. But my main issue, I think, with the social media and the hooliganism, that hooliganistic approach, Chris, I think you used the right term there, is there are an ever-increasing amount of drivers, whereas I say, yes, I'm a Hamilton fan. I'm an F1 fan, first and foremost. You know, I loved F1 for decades before Lewis Hamilton came into it. Hopefully I'll I'll love it until, you know, until the day it becomes Formula E. But I... I don't just love the sport for Formula for, for Lewis Hamilton. And I feel there's a huge fan base that when Lewis Hamilton retires, they will disappear and they, they won't watch F1 anymore. And if Verstappen gets fed up after the next couple of years in the midfield, only kidding, only kidding, they'll disappear. Someone quoted to me there's 18 million Dutch Max Verstappen fans. Great. But how many of them will be there if he retires? How many of them are in the sport for the long run? And how of the people that are under every single social media post causing trouble, being insulting, being very unpleasant. How many of them will be there when their driver goes? And if you're not there when your driver goes, I'm I'm broadly not interested in you, Alex. I'm interested in you, Alex. What do you want to the, say? The Dutch fans have always been very partisan in any sport that they support. and But if they're not involved, they're not there. So if, for example, we will always see British fans at... 
um, the World Cup, no matter where it is, no matter who, what, what teams are playing, we'll always see British fans there, whether England are in the competition or not. If Holland aren't there in in the World Cup, the Dutch fans will not go. And where was the Orange Army before Max Verstappen got in a race-winning car? Okay. They were nowhere. And it is literally, they are, they are just there as glory hunters. So having said that... Not, not all of them, part, not all the Dutch have, fans. Having geez. said that, as somebody who is part Dutch, I'm now a Max Verstappen fan until he doesn't until he loses the title this year. Okay, okay, look, can we be clear here? <laughs> we're not saying that all Max Verstappen fans fall into that category. And I also want to be clear that I'm also talking about a large a large chunk of Lewis Hamilton fans as well who, who are in that category of Definitely. if there's no Lewis Hamilton, they might fall out of the sport. So I don't, Matt, this is, I think, what Chris is talking about. It's that increased partisan, ultimate partisan nature of F1 fandom that can kind of cause a bit of stress. I mean, we could all just delete Twitter and Facebook and Reddit and I might, in fact, I might just do that now. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand that. And it is an unfortunate byproduct of following a sport for a long time that is suddenly getting a lot more popular. Yeah. Alex. Somebody just posted in Slack that the population of the <laughs> Netherlands is 17.4 million. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it can't really be 18 million um Max fans. Okay. Just to be clear, because someone said calling all the Staffan fans that is kind of iffy. We weren't doing that. Please, please save your emails. Feedback at mistakeprex.net. But I definitely wasn't doing that. We are talking generally. And because it's Hamilton and Verstappen at the top at the moment, that's the two drivers and the two fan bases, a portion of them that we're talking about that won't be there if their driver isn't doing well or leaves the sport. We saw it with Michael Schumacher as well when Michael Schumacher dropped out of the sport. German fandom of F1 took a, a dive. I don't think that's controversial. And then Vettel couldn't quite bring that same german fandom back uh, back so so it does happen it's just that that didn't happen in the in the age of um in the age of social media matt can you check the emails this week can you be the one can you feedback at mistakefrex.net can you just dive into those for me uh Great. yeah sure no problem <laughs> so at mistakefrex we have cut down on our dms at the moment it was just getting a little bit much but what i want to do is focus listener feedback so if you've got any feedback feedback at mistakefrex.net and I will, I will check that as part of my show prep, uh, but I'm no longer going to be looking at the the drop ins on on Facebook and Twitter and such like. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a deep breath and and attack it all in one go. But we do want your feedback, so feedback at mistapex.net. But Alex, do you think there was anything more to Lewis Hamilton's social media silence than just a man taking a break after a hard season? No, not really. We don't hear about it when Kimi Raikkonen disappears for the season you don't disappear in the off season don't vettel, hear from him. yeah same from sebastian vettel um and lots of other drivers it's just you know i don't blame him for disappearing from social media you know it was the hardest season he's ever had unpopular opinion possibly maybe he was robbed he took it like a man he showed respect on it and then decided you know what i'm just gonna bow out for a few months to prepare myself for what, again, is going to be another intense season of especially learning when it comes to these new cars and these new regulations. I I don't blame him for it at all. And as you said, I was gone and now I'm back. The thing is, Vettel, Reichen, whoever, not as active on social media. Lewis is a very heavy presence on social media. It's what has helped him transcend the sport. And to suddenly disappear after losing 
the most intense title fight Formula One has ever seen. It, it just seemed odd. That was all of it. You know, the fact that he unfollowed everyone and made zero uh, public statements on anything. That's why he doesn't and follow me. Right? That is, yeah, well, yeah exactly. Yeah. But how many people could still make headline news by doing nothing? It's the whole case of what was he going to say? He wasn't yeah. going to go on a tirade and blame the FIA and blame the stewards and have a go at Michael Massey. He wasn't going to go and be aggressive. To be fair, he had a massive army of fans and George Russell doing <laughs> all of that for him. You yeah. know, he doesn't need to be there and be aggressive and go, oh, I was robbed and this and that and this and that, because it was all there on television. And you can believe one side or you can believe the other. Um, so he's just like, Do you know what? Let them all fight it out. Hopefully it will calm down. And then the first question I'll get asked in the press conference when I come back to our, when I come back to the first race of the season is going to be, so how did you feel about the result from last year? Why deal with that with the whole offseason? Yeah. And when you contrast that to Red Bull's PR over the offseason, which we will get to in some detail, because they wanted to, it feels like the Red Bull PR machine wanted to to have something to push back against. It's like they... They must feel frustration if you're Red Bull PR and there's a lot of people calling it uh, illegitimate or saying, you know, it, it, there was, it was unjust. And you want to, you want to be vocal. There are, there are parts of that injustice that you feel were unjust to you, that are unjust to you as a, as a team that mean you can't celebrate your championship, which you won. You didn't do anything. You didn't do anything to call the safety car apart from heavily barrack the race director. Stop it, Spanner, stop it. Uh, but the, the, they have that title and they want to kind of go, yay, we won. The internet's going boo because of the things and they want to butt up, up against that. And when Hamilton's being silent, it, it can kind of be even more powerful because all of the Red Bull stuff and, and Helmet Marker that we'll talk about later, all of his hyperbole was going kind of unanswered. Uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, it looked like you were going to say things, Matt, and rescue me from that. Okay, I can uh. do that. I, 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 you sort of took my point at the end oh, of okay. your statement. But, right. but I will go on and say that I think, and I'm not speaking from experience because I've certainly never had any Twitter drama, but it, it, the idea that the best move sometimes is just to do nothing I, I think this absolutely demonstrates it because as as you correctly point out, I think his return post got so much engagement that it overwhelmed anything that Red Bull did in the entire offseason and also just the unsettled nature of the incident itself. We still don't know really what's going to happen, who's going to be the race director, what the rules changes, if they're going to be any are. And all of mm. that just gradually eats away at what Red Bull wanted to do, which was just celebrate Max winning the championship, which, mm. you know, aside from the race director's, you know, messages, which the team principals were encouraged to <laughs> they engage They were encouraged in, to, do, to do that, yes. In, yeah. Aside from them being encouraged to get, Aside from that, I mean, he was kind of blameless in just, like, actually winning the race, and yet he's not going to have the same kind of celebration yeah. that previous champions have had because of this controversy if if a uh, conspiracy theories were to be believed over the off season his silence was a kind of negotiating tactic to to push through the reforms that he and mercedes wanted and and so his return is kind of being signaled as well then they're going to now confirm that michael massey is not race director i think we'll get more 
speculation and comment on that as things develop. I think my personal opinion at the moment is they can't keep Michael Massion in the same role. They can't because it's just untenable. They can't sack him in disgrace because that would be far too big of an admission of the legitimacy of the previous world title and and the Abu Dhabi race. There is going to be a, a fudge. They've left it a long time to cool down. It's a good tactic strategically they are going to reform it to the point where Michael Massey is still there he's still an employee therefore they've still backed him but he won't be in that I I doubt he'll be in that overall same Charlie Whiting position he was in before and um, I'm sure we'll see some more details of that but I do want to get onto some more race related stuff now okay someone in the chat room there saying uh, you know Max has number one on his car because he's got the Drivers' Championship, and, I, you know, some people that's not going to sit easy with because of the result at Abu Dhabi, but Max is the world champion. There's, we're going to just have to... Everyone who feels like there was an injustice at Abu Dhabi needs to get over what that means for what Max Verstappen can do. Alex, yes, it does. he's the world champion. He can have number one on his car. It's a completely justified thing for the world champion to do, and you're just going to have to suck that up, Buttercup. So in case anyone doesn't know, I'm a bit of a Lewis Hamilton fan <laughs> okay um and I, and, I, and I felt a bit of injustice to what happened in Abu Dhabi <laughs> um and yes Max is our champion he, he, um, you don't have to say it slowly he's the Formula One world champion that's it the, the thing that I keep feeling and this might resonate with some Max fans uh, with some Lewis Hamilton fans is I keep thinking I'm over it and then someone brings the conversation up, oh, especially yeah, someone no, who I I'm don't normally talk to about Formula yeah, One. Yeah. And I really, really realise that I'm not. And I think I just need this yeah. season to start. Yeah, it's, it's like, um, I was talking to Brad about this and he, he had a great analogy, which is like, it's like breaking up with a girlfriend and you just need to get into your next relationship to start forgetting about the last one. Yeah, so yeah. I need this I need this championship to start, Lewis to win, win race number one, and then I can... And I can start exactly. to give up on it. If you're if you're sat at home eating Domino's, gaining weight, you don't want to see pictures of your your ex and and her new boyfriend out on the town looking amazing. So yeah, let's true. Let's let's get that new season going. And in the new season, one thing will be missing. Chris, tell me, tell me what it is in Q two. How will that be different? Well, this might not mean a lot to a few people, but to us on the panel, it is fantastic news because Formula One is set to drop. The Q2 tire rule. Oh, dun, dun, dun. firstly, get in. That rule has yeah. been, we'll go into the reasons why, very unpopular here in the shed. But are we sure? Is this a confirmed report? So it's not 100%, but the wheels are very much in motion uh, and to be you know, fully confirmed and announced by Formula One themselves. But it's been reported on two very reputable uh, websites. Okay. Which websites are those, Chris? That would be Motorsport Italy and Planet F1. Okay. How? Okay. Nope. No further comment. Okay. Well, it's it's a it's it's been mooted for a while, I think, and this is looks like is now going to be happening. So for those who uh, aren't familiar, the Q two tire rule, yeah, the top ten have to start the race on the tires they set the fastest time in Q2. In Q2. And, and the thing is, it made no sense. And I've been really frustrated at this rule because it gives these the top teams an advantage, which is that they can, if they've got the pace advantage, start on medium tires. And then the soft tires are, are rubbish in once you get to the race start. But there's no penalty for starting on the mediums if you can get through because you just qualify on the soft tires anyway. 
So it, it sort of doesn't matter. And then when you get to the race, the midfield teams that have struggled and fought to get into Q3 suddenly have to ditch their tyres after six or seven laps or whatever. They, they have a kind of half lap advantage off the line, like a four metre, was it eight metres, it says advantage off the line, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, but then it disappears and it crumbles, so it's pointless anyway. It was all a bit odd. But you, you were telling me about the history of why that uh, that mm. rule had come to place. And, and I'd actually forgotten that it was originally a Q3 rule. Yeah, so I, I think it's an outdated rule, and this is why, because it's yeah. been around for a very long time. Yeah. Originally came in as the top 10 had to start on the tyres they used in Q3. The idea right. being that it would open up strategies for the teams that just missed out on the top 10 and create some battles. Okay, it so, didn't really work. So, so the Q3 teams were meant to be a dis- at a disadvantage because they would have to start on used soft tyres and the teams behind them could all just start on a medium or whatever yeah and in the Bridgestone era which it was at the time Mm. didn't really make all that much difference other than the teams starting outside the top 10 could run the option tyre at the end of the race hang on hang on don't say don't say option and sorry uh, the softer tyre so there used to be two types of tyre you could pick from no in in the Bridgestone era it's kind of what we had now where there are multiple ones but they only had two names for them it was just Soft and hard at each one, but there were different... So they would call it option and prime was the terminology, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, pretty much. So prime would be your main race tyre, like the medium or the hard, mm. so medium slash hard, and then the option would be the soft one. But we're talking about mm. an era where the tyres really held up. They were super grippy and just had fantastic durability to the point where they were running almost entire Grand Prix distances on the harder compounds. Yeah. So it, it just it just didn't really pan out. And, and the main thing out of that was that the teams in the at the bottom of Q3, say if you were Williams and you just made it to Q3, there's no incentive for you to go and burn your tyres up to get to 8th instead of 10th. So you just don't run in Q3. So, so this was the thing. When Pirelli became right, the tyre supplier it. in 2011, suddenly the midfield teams that were reaching Q3 realized that they were burning through tires and would were willing to sacrifice grid position mm. to save tires for the race by just not running in in Q3 and formula 1 thought well this is not great because yeah. we want Q3 to have have all Excitement, 10 cars out yeah. there fighting for for the pole position yeah and this is why they went to the Q2 rule thinking that that would enable the teams that don't get through and, and this is similar to any tie rule ever it to advantage the teams that aren't quite as fast by allowing them to play an alternate strategy pick a different tire that might give them an advantage in the race and um, as the teams have gotten better at managing the tires and understood them more we've essentially gotten to a position where like last season like mclaren Ferrari, which I sort of thought of as a vaguely midfield team, you would have almost all but two or three teams Mm. actually trying to get into Q3 on the medium tire, which is the equivalent of the prime tire you were originally discussing when you were talking about the Bridgestone. Yeah. So from a, I'll probably go to Alex for this one, because do we approve in general of these kind of rules? Because you could just say, use as many, you've got your allocation of tires, use whatever you want and then start wherever you want on on the race. Uh, there's a lot of talk about artificially manipulating the race. You know, people don't like reverse grids. People balk at the idea of sprinklers to make things more exciting. But 
essentially, if you have a formula where the tires last forever, you don't have any refueling, you have great reliability, and you have qualifying that gives everybody the opportunity to set their ultimate fastest lap, then what you're doing is you are setting the fastest car driver combination at the front and the slowest uh, driver combination at the back, and you are encouraging a procession. So at our karting events, we have mixed grids for the heats as everyone fights for their positions. And then actually, those heats are far more exciting where it's randomly allocated grids. But everybody, it's fair. You you should start maybe at the front, middle and back. Everyone gets kind of similar spread. When you get to the finals and it's based on pace and the points throughout the day, you actually find those races are a little bit less interesting. So you've got to do something to mix up that order. You've got to do something to encourage racing and and i've not been like a fan of but i've appreciated what they've done with the pirelli tires and and having those different options and mixing up strategy means that you will have different deltas of speed with different cars and you quote unquote artificial overtaking but alex we need something don't we we need something to stop the 90s beads on a string that was always the joke formula one it's like beads on a string lift one end up start the race put one end down and the beads go down to the other end it depends what you think Formula One is or should be. Is it a sport or is it entertainment? And you can't have both. You know, you don't see a nil-nil draw in football and then people throwing their arms up in the air saying, we need to change the whole way football works because we can't have nil-nil draws. And <laughs> yeah. that's not the way it works. We are in a sport that is here to promote excellence and promote the best. No one's complained that the three biggest tennis players of the last 10 years have been Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, and um, 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 Andy, Andy Murray. Rafael Nadal. Oh. Rafael Nadal, that's the one I was thinking of. I almost <laughs> said um, Federer again, but yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, Alex, wait, st- I'll stop you there. Football, nil-nil draws are fine, but we could make the goals half the size. We could make the goals twice the size. But then you're trivialising the sport. And, and then you, you, you mentioned it m- m- multiple times before you came to me, which was um, you are artificially changing the way the sport goes. So, yeah, I, I've hated the, the Q2 tyre rule yeah. for ages because all it does is it makes it more difficult for the midfield teams who we want to be involved in the fight with the front teams. You put them at a tyre disadvantage to a team that can qualify the medium tyre, then the whole race is compromised by that. So now with the new regulations and <laughs> yeah. no, hopefully no tyre rules as far as qualifying is concerned, you might see a Lando yeah. Norris and a McLaren or something like that getting involved in the fight with what we think will normally be the Mercedes and the Red Bull and maybe a Ferrari or whatever. And that's what the sport wants to see. We want to see more competitive, from more competition from everybody else, not a fake thing mm. to make it, to try and make it more competitive which it hasn't done anyway i I just want to i want to be careful of talking about oh we mustn't make it artificial because formula one didn't grow on a tree you know we we it it was invented by people and it was invented yes to be a spectator sport as well chris so it can't be all excitement like abu dhabi it can't be all sprint races it can't be all okay we'll go back to alex because he's upset with this point but yes we can't make it nascar but we do have to bear in mind the entertainment factor of it. We can't just go, I say we as if we can choose. But, you know, we can't make it beads on a string. We have to make it so that there's a competitive advice. Like things like joker laps, where they're the same for everyone and it's fair. You can have things that are fair that encourage Mm. racing and tactics. F1 wasn't designed as a spectator sport. 
F1 was something that came along because people who owned fast cars wanted to race them against each other and people came to watch. And this is exactly why certain species have gone out of existence. Like, yeah, maybe it was designed to be one way, but if you would like to continue watching this That's sport, a good analogy. it's going to kind of need to make some yeah. money here and there. Yeah, you might be a good, you might be a good uh, uh, peacock that's good at finding seeds, but if you don't have that tail feather, you're not going to have any baby peacocks. That That's a pretty good analogy. Oh my God, we stumbled upon something magnificent there, Chris. Ultimately, Alex makes a very good point. It All it does at the moment is advantage the bigger teams, which is not what we want. Yes, this specific ultimately, does, yeah. I can't think of how it's improved Formula One, so let's get rid of it. Yeah, I agree. Well, I would disagree. I think it has grown to become an advantage for the big teams, but it wasn't always. And I can think of specific, it, 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 I can think of specific races where starting tenth on the medium tire was a huge advantage, where the teams directly had had to start on the soft. What's interesting to me, looking at the sprint races, which essentially already did away with the Q two tire rule, is that you're now going to see potentially the opposite. You're going to see teams in 10th and 11th maybe picking a stickier tire to try and steal places at the start and then hold up the people behind them to keep those places. So we're kind of inverting a little bit what the teams might be thinking. Okay, so somebody in the chat there, Weitzer, said football wasn't invented as a spectator sport either. And there's some controversy over whether where it was invented. Interesting fact, Alex, I'll direct this at you. In England, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, football would be a competition between like opposing villages and the whole village would take part. You'd put the ball on the ground, basically be a massive scrum, pushing the ball backwards and forwards for days until one village put it in the other village's goal or whatever. The thing with sport is sport was mm. never designed as something for spectators. It was designed as something to see who the who is the best at something. But human nature we like to see people who are the best mm. doing things the best so people come and watch people doing things the best i've said the best a lot in that sentence but that's the basic premise of sport but all of a sudden we've got to throw in sprinklers and fireworks all kinds <laughs> have to make the show for people when because apparently watching the people do things the best isn't enough okay so i do want a show i do want an interesting sport i do want interesting tactics the thing I don't want is manufacturing that ad hoc. So obviously changing the safety car rules to make sure you have a last minute, say, uh, last lap shootout. That was ridiculous. Calling a safety car. Too soon. It's not. Calling a safety car when a, a virtual safety car would have done because you want to bunch the pack up. That kind of stuff is is what I would call artificial. And that is for the show. But you can do lots of things beforehand so if you make the decision in race for the sake of the show ad hoc that feels artificial if you set the rules out beforehand you can do anything and it's fair because everybody's got that same opportunity so the thought occurred to me when we were talking about engine penalties and we just go oh well actually i don't mind later in the season when teams are taking engine penalties it gives you interesting things and then the thought occurred to me well why not have it so every team has to take two 20 grid position or 10 grid position penalties a season and you can decide 
where you take those penalties, but it's the same for everyone, you are going to get a lot of races where you've mixed up the order. Mixing up the order gives good races, but you have to it has to be fair to everyone and it has to be decided in advance. You can have your sprinklers if you really want. You can have Joe Collapse, they do in other series, but it's got to be decided beforehand so it's fair to everyone. Matt, I'm yelling at clouds, but I think I've got a basic point there. The unfairness is when it's decided because of a situation, not beforehand. Yeah, sport is artificial. It always All has sport been. Is, yeah. The rules are the rules, but the goal is to ensure a level playing field for all the participants. And when you don't have that, like we did in Abu Dhabi, that's when people get upset. Mm. All right. Okay. Good. I think we solved a lot there. That was very healthy. Let's move on. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Oh, let's go to Matt to Rompits. Uh, something, something, parts, cost cap, something, something. I don't know. All the show notes look like hieroglyphics to me in this segment. Oh, sorry. Well, I just got a little bit excited. Um, there was a brief <laughs> article about another area of development, the brakes, which are restricted, but it's exciting because we're going to have different brakes. Well, exciting to me. I know it's not exciting to you. And I'm not going to bore you with details like the new size of the cooling holes that are allowed in the discs is three millimeters, but I didn't really say that out loud. What really interested me is that these parts are in a new category in Formula One. Up until now, we've always had just the listed parts, which the teams have to build or buy and own all on their own, or the non-listed parts, which they can get from anywhere, which is what Haas did with most of its car from Ferrari. We have now open source components, a new category, and the teams are going to have to upload all their designs. All the other teams can look at them, and if they like them, they can just download them and make them themselves so we could have mercedes running red bull brake parts for example i don't think that's going to happen but it's a potential and it's it's kind of going to be interesting i think mclaren williams some of your more adventuresome midfield teams might actually see some benefit out of this okay tell me they're calling this the racing point rule 
Surely. <laughs> you, Subsection. I was going to make that joke. I was going to say, in the old days, you just had to scan it. <laughs> mm, I don't know, Chris. What direction does that, that take us in? Actually, sorry, Matt. What time scale are we talking for this? This season. This se- Chris, this season. And what scale? As well. I mean, what does it apply to? Anything I, I would, and everything uh, on the card? I, I would do a one-to-one scale for the best results. No, uh, oh. If you're scanning, yeah, that's the scale you want. Um, yeah. In this case, it's the, uh, I got to scroll through, brakes, brake disc, brake, the disc bell, the calipers, the brake by wire, stuff like It's mostly the braking bits. So but the break. calipers could be interesting, and there's room for them to be interesting shapes, according to Brembo. I just, I don't understand why this is a thing. If, because pretty much there are two major brake suppliers that everyone buys from, and pretty much everyone has shifted over to Brembo now. So if people are buying these parts, why do we need them to be copied? It's not just the brake discs, it's the calipers, it's the master cylinder, it's all the other. It's all the other parts of the system that the teams designed themselves. Okay. I, I'm really not sure how I feel about this, to why? be honest. Why? Because it's, it's like, why, why would I get the same grade as you at school if I just copied your essay? That's what this is. I wouldn't be able, when we take the exam, I wouldn't just be able to lean over to you and copy what you wrote down. So why, at the pinnacle of motorsport, are we letting teams who can't do it themselves copy what the big boys are doing? Yeah. Matt? Because we've always had listed and non-listed parts, non-listed parts you can buy. What's different about this is it's going to let the teams that don't have the same resource. And, you know, we've heard Alpha Tower complain about the cost cap not really being enough. And it's enough in a short-term point of view. Like this season, all the teams are on the same budget. Wait, but wait, understand wait. that uh, I'm, I'm getting to a point, point, I promise. Okay. Understand that Mercedes and Red Bull have been spending hundreds of millions of dollars on simulations, on, on computer systems, and on things like that that the midfield teams just do not have. So when they design parts, they have all these advantages that they've already built into their system. So if I'm McLaren, I can see, I can see, I can buy, I can look at Mercedes brakes and calipers. I can look at Red Bull's brakes and calipers. I can look at everybody's brakes and calipers. And I can pick a system that's going to work best for me. And it's really, it's a part of the cost cap, not quite going all the way to spec series, that line that F1 is trying to tread here. But I I like it just because it's interesting, because that means that, Theoretically, we will also have that information. It's definitely interesting. I'll give you that. I think having parts you can buy, that's perfectly fine and been something, you know, since the earliest days of the sport. I'm not sure how I feel about you have to give up this information and make it public for anyone to be able to just nab. Um, But Joe, Alpha Tari saying, though, that there's like, oh, there's not enough, you know, budget. And it's like, well, no, hang on. There's not enough budget for you to buy all your bits from Red Bull basically, and only design half a car. Well, I mean, again, they're not wrong in the sense that they won't be competitive in the same way because they don't have the same wind tunnels and computers and simulation tools the big teams have been able to invest more money in. And yeah, you're right. You bring up an interesting point about AlphaTauri. 
that they're going to have to buy this year's Red Bull parts. They normally buy the old parts, but they're stuck buying this year's parts, and it's it's going to crimp their ability to develop the car at the end of the season because that's going to cost them a lot more than they're used to spending. Alex, give us your analysis on the CFD list and the, the, the shared parts analysis program of the cost cap thing. I make gestures to you in confidence and you <laughs> land me in it. Um, there's a reason I've stayed quiet through this conversation. Yeah, but I, think I, you know, I, I think when we have an expert as qualified as Matt on here, I think I would just... Um, dilute the conversation but, but, so i will hand back to matt to answer your question no, i think there's a serious point here though which is for fans like you and me we, we i think you and i we need a much simpler way for this to be absolutely to i i i've said i've said this before i'd love to do a tech show with matt and matt because i'd love to sit there and go what does that mean yeah what does that mean me. yeah is it, i i uh, is a bit convoluted but i remember years ago russell brand was on chris moyle's show and they had a button for every time russell brand said the complicated word saying what does that mean russell i think we need that for matt and matt when it comes to tech shows <laughs> okay well now have i explained it badly i uh, know we just Do weren't you... listening that's uh, well that's acceptable but okay. like, if, like if, if i didn't make myself clear just ask i'll try again as long as you'll let me i got the distracted short... by the chat so it's not entirely your fault <laughs> the, sh- the short explanation <laughs> is formula one can copy other formula one well, teams right. homework okay Okay, well then, then we've got effectively a spec series where the people who design it get a short time advantage. It's only for the brakes. So. Oh, I see. Okay, F one was always made as a manufacturer sport team sport. So you know this whole thing of customer teams and um, shared parts. It's good for the entertainment side and keep everything close, but it dilutes it for the teams who really have the money to go and progress the sport and move things forward it's why in previous years and really going forward adrian newey has Mm. been much less um interested in designing the cars because he can't put his flair on it because he has such a small um window where he can make a difference to the car that it's almost not worth someone of his talents which is why he actually hasn't been involved as much in the designing of f1 cars especially because the fact that he can't use um, the mm. computer-based systems, and they can't <laughs> use his drawings anymore. Well, the thing is, now we're talking about the soul of Formula One, because if you want that true entrepreneur spirit, and it is a, a true engineering competition, the technology has got so complicated that you either say unlimited budget, unlimited manpower, or you spec ever more parts of the car and, and say, right, well, now it's an aero competition. Now it's an engine competition. Now it's a suspension competition because it's getting so complicated. If you're going to have a cost cap, you can't have an engineering competition, not a pure one. So they, they are, it is a feature, not a bug, I think, Matt, when they're talking about the future of, of Formula One. We've seen the move towards franchise F1 with the entry fee. So if you want to join Formula One now, you have to pay £200 million to be a team. Really what they want is 10 everlasting entities like you have in, I don't know, NFL or the the bouncy up and down tall people sport. And those entities compete within very limited parameters and they want the drivers to be more and more of a feature. I think F1 will move as it becomes more entertainment than sport, if that's the direction they want to go. Spec series, moving towards a spec series, is inevitable, isn't it? Yeah, and... This idea of the line that is trying to be walked between entertainment and sport kind of 
winds its way through our whole show today, I think. But I'm put in mind of a biology experiment I was forced to do once upon a time in college. I will admit I failed at it. But have you ever seen (laughs) those fighting fish? When you put them close to each other, they change color and get all big and puffy. No, but send me links. They exist. Um, Beta fish, I think they're called. Nice. And in college, they gave us one and then said, draw one to to like trigger your your fish on your desk. And I realized that the goal was to abstract just the things that set the fish off. And to me, what Formula One is trying to do right now is to find the essence of the engineering challenge and leave that to the teams and make everything else something simple and easy for them to deal with. So the money gets spent where it has the most impact in a sporting sense. And I think this is the journey that, that they're on right now. Chris? I, I think they've been pushing for a while to take resource away from things that don't really matter. You know, like the wheel rims, like gearbox casings, which are pretty much identical, but everyone still has to make them anyway. So why don't we just make them spec? And you don't even, no one's going to notice the difference with these kinds of things. So I think in in some areas, this kind of thing is pretty acceptable. When you start looking at, you know, oh, this is the front wing you have to have, and these are the aerodynamics you have to have, that's when we're crossing a line. Do you remember when, when Zach Brown went on his little tirade and he complained about A and B teams and stuff and stuff like that? I was always kind of sad no one asked him exactly what parts he felt the Formula One team should have to make on their own to be a Formula One team. Because this is really the question they're trying to answer now. Like, what are the important bits and what are the bits that we cannot worry about without affecting this as a sport? Well, that's the thing. You know, the the engine you would probably consider the most important part of the car, and yet there are four supplies of those. Well, the engines, are, you, know, you know me, it's the tires. It's always the tires. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, let's move ourselves along. You're listening to Mist Apex Podcast. We are a listener-supported podcast. If you want to join us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex, you will get an ad-free feed at every single level. So it's a link that you can put in your podcast player and you can listen to us without the adverts, although we do appreciate the support of our advertising partners. But if you want to be part of our Slack community uh, where we hang out and you can send us direct messages and have a chat with us, uh, there are tiers for that too. Uh, but most importantly, you are supporting an independent podcast that I think is punching way above its weights in the general landscape of F1 content creation. If you want to help us drive forward, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. More news. Big Dirty News. Okay, Alex, I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but Helmut Marco came out and said, stop, Did you, you've seen the quote. He was comparing Valtteri Bottas and Sergio Perez and being unkind to Valtteri Bottas. And you, you could say a bit of a glass house because his number two driver didn't, didn't have the most polished of seasons. Uh, I'm a Perez fan. Sergio Perez showed promise, and I hope we'll show promise in 2022. But you can't 
not argue that all things being equal, Bottas outperformed Sergio Perez in 2022. But it's Helmut, Helmut Marco that I want to talk about the most, really, Alex. I, I don't know a great deal about him, but every time we hear something from Helmut Marco, it's super mean. Yeah, he's this super crazy, powerful person in the sport. And wait, wait, hang on. Do you mean crazy powerful or crazy unpowerful? They're both. It seems that way. Because he is powerful. He owns a considerable part of the of the grid, having owned has owning four cars on the grid. Yeah, it's a big chunk. So it gives him a lot of power because when he has thrown his toys out of the pram in the past and gone, I'm just gonna take my teams and leave. That leaves a massive hole that will the F1 would struggle to fill. So the guy can say whatever he wants, and F1 have to kind of accept it. But some of the stuff he says is mad. Annoyingly, I haven't got some of the quotes <laughs> to hand. But um, some of the things he said throughout the year, and you know, it just baffles me that the guy can get away with it. But that's what power and money does. It gives yeah. you the ability to get away with stuff that paupers like us can't say and i think for me though it's it is the general tone so he's obviously fighting his team's corner but it does seem that everything he comes out with is generally antagonistic and for people who ha- have supported red bull at various times like i've, I've loved the spirit that c- that's come out of that red bull team at times alex like you know they were really good as the plucky underdogs they they were really good champions in uh, in that vettel era as well but i think for a lot of people we just go what why do you, why does there have to be the relentless PR attack that seems to come from Red Bull? And it and it feels like the centre of it is Helmut Marco, Doctor Helmut they've, Marco. They've gone from the fun party team, which is what they were very much known as, to this ruthless, aggressive team. And you talk about liking them. You know, I've never been Christian Horner's biggest fan. Oh, I have um, at various points, not so much recently. Uh, me never me never so much okay uh but i've always appreciated the way red bull went about things even up until this season where when all of a sudden they came out as a contender to mercedes i'm like you know what they've done a really good job i like max as a driver i think he's a good fast driver i wouldn't be disappointed if he won the championship this year but the way they behaved backed by marco's crazy things that he says just made me go no i i can't I can't get behind that kind of support because when you're blind to everything else going on and you think you're the most important, you lose all sense and you lose all notor- um, um, yeah, all, all, all credit by being just sure. completely outlandish and out there. So, I mean, like Matt, if I, if, I, if I do some of the quotes, I know Alex didn't have them to hand, but the one we were talking about uh, from Helmut Marco, that's the big difference between Perez and Bottas, who is a flop. When it comes to overtaking, he's fast, but he can't overtake in, in, in traffic. You know, obviously there is some, that's an emotive word that is designed to get a reaction. And, and, I've, and I, I do wonder, you know, is he mad or bad? I guess that's the, the, the cliched question. There was a quote from him about the, the COVID camps where he wanted, he wanted all his drivers together in a camp to catch COVID at a time when we didn't know anything about COVID. He just assumed it was like chicken pox where you could never catch it again. We have four Formula One drivers and eight or 10 juniors. The idea is we would organise a camp to mentally and physically bridge the dead time. And that would be the ideal time for the infection to come. You can't say he's not a controversial character, Matt. 
Oh, no, he's entirely controversial. But let's consider the fact that he is a Formula One driver from the era of Nicky Lauda. Mm -hmm. He had a very promising career cut very short. And so a lot of his power comes from having survived that generation of racing. Mm. And also, just on a personal note, one of the things, and you kind of have to hand it to him a little bit, is he's also of that age where you're just inclined to dismiss the really crazy stuff he says because, like, well, you know, that's just grandpa and stuff like that. <laughs> the, oh, the grandpa clause. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, he's just, like, old and, you know, whatever. But I don't think that's the case. He's an incredibly canny operator. And, yes, I will agree, he's done a tremendous amount of damage to any number of young drivers and made some fairly bad choices. I mean, we could talk about Vern, Buemi, people who've exited that program with enormous loads of talent and gone on to do lots of great stuff. But at the end of the day, if you look at what Red Bull's achieved, they've achieved a lot. Yeah, but Formula One's brutal. You have to pick the best drivers. But yeah, Chris, are we being unfair here? We're talking about a few quotes from relatively modern history. Matt's reminded us he was an F1 driver. He's, uh, he's risked life and limb in a motor car. So that earns us, you know, earns him a certain amount of talking power. But who is this Dr. Helmut Marco? Well, I think when you remember he's a racing driver, it explains a lot of his demeanor and behavior. Yeah, they're nuts, aren't they? <laughs> um, because, yeah, they're generally pretty crazy. But the thing is, he is genuinely one of the most powerful individuals in Formula One. Oh, so we should but, be being much nicer about him. Well, he's the guy who convinced Dietrich Matters shits to bring Red Bull to Formula One. Dietrich mm -hmm. Mateschitz being the owner of Red Bull, right, the yes. company, as in the energy drinks company. And since then, they own 40% of the grid, a flurry of drivers, and an entire Grand Prix. A few years ago, when Red Bull decided that they were going to start, you know, decided, throwing around quit threats, yeah. Formula One had to stand up and pay attention because... When Ferrari say it, they go, okay, well, that's one thing. When Red Bull says it, it's an entirely different story. Yeah, so he is an immensely powerful figure, but, you know, he come, he'll come out with things. I mean, maybe he's been misquoted on some of this stuff. You know, I've never spoken to him, so we're going from media outlets. But when he, like, talks about perhaps Lewis Hamilton has been handed performance-enhancing drugs by his coach... F1 can't turn around to him and go, dude, you shouldn't be saying stuff like that because basically he's Dr. Helmut Marco. He can say whatever he wants, even when it includes Alex accusing someone of 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 a crime. Just a quick correction for Chris. It's 20% of the grid, not 40% of the grid. Um, just because I know we'll get picked up on that one. Maths. Um, but yeah, it's, like the old, it, it's like the old... It's like the... It's like the uh, Simpsons quote from the Simpsons movie where he goes, you're going mad with power. The guy goes, yes, of course I am. Have you ever tried going mad, mad without power? No one listens to you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah. the whole thing. When, yeah. when you are that powerful and in that sort of a position, you can say whatever you want because people might call you on it, but no one's going to do anything about it. Okay, so here's an interesting kind of subtopic from this is uh, the comments from Dr. Helmut Marko that – the how much of a strain the 2021 championship had on uh, on the whole Red Bull team and Max Verstappen. Um, I, sorry, apologies, I don't know who the interview was with, but was talking about like if there was many more seasons like this, it would shorten 
Max Verstappen's career. And I would say, looking at Christian Horner, who is someone that I have genuinely, even in the stupid Vettel dominance era, genuinely enjoyed his interactions with TV crews. He gives generous interviews. He's candid. He understands that part of speaking to a team principal is entertainment, and he's on board with that. His Beyond the Grid interview was fantastic. So he's, he's, a, he's a great personality. This season, he's been combative. He's been attacking. He's been sniping. He's not, he's, I've not liked him this season as an F1 viewer, Matt, whereas I have liked him in previous seasons. So Helmut Marko's comments that he's taken a strain on the whole Red Bull team, I, I, I believe that completely. But I think Red Bull are in danger of becoming the new baddies of, of Formula One. And I, just, I, just, I wouldn't have picked that out years ago. No, they were the small plucky team who overachieved and everybody was on their side because they were new and a breath of fresh air and they did everything differently. But with power comes responsibility Don't and do they have, like it or not, become <laughs> one of the juggernaut teams and they can't, you can't get away with the same kind of shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah, well, this that is, you used to. Yeah, Mia in the, the chat there just says maybe his job was on the line. And I think that, that just speaks to the stress level at Red Bull last season. And fighting for world championships is stressful. Uh, but yeah, well, I'm, well I'm, I'm glad they endured the stress so that we could have great competition in Formula One. Matt, the super license thing, I'm sure you and Chris have plenty of input on that. Well, we, we've been talking a bit about Americans. And really, this is, is kind of a big deal. Because um, you may or may not know, but IndyCar winner Pato Award actually got to test the McLaren F1 car. Oh. He, he, he won a race. Zach Brown said, you win, you get a test. He did. But having finished, I think, fourth and third the last two seasons, he's still actually ineligible for a super license. This is the same IndyCar that Grosjean and Magnussen and, well, not Magnussen, but many F1 drivers compete in. And it's a problem. Well, hang on. But the IndyCar isn't anything to do with the FIA. So why would the FIA grant super license points for, for that? Why, why not World Rally Championship? Does that have super license points? I'd actually have to go look. Believe it or not, <laughs> there is a chart. Oh, okay, no, Chris. It, it, it doesn't. It's, it's all just to do really with what is relevant and what people are likely to sort of come across from. The super license point system came in yeah. To A, stop people like Max Verstappen doing one year of car racing and then coming into Formula One immediately. Wait, there was no super license before that? Not the points. No, there were super licenses, but you didn't have to get points. Ah, uh, I see. To get go, go on, Matt, quickly. And, yeah. Basically, the team could say, we want this driver. We'd like an exemption. And then the FIA would be like, oh, yeah, sure. Have a, have a super license. I think the points came in. To keep people like, was it Ragunathan in Formula 2 that was such a disaster? Ragunathan, yeah. From showing yeah. up with buckets of cash and still getting a Formula 1 seat, which used to happen in the old days. But also, they brought it in to basically force drivers to go through the ladder of series they wanted, i.e. the FIA Formula 3 and the FIA Formula 2 championship that are on the F1 support bill, and pretty much put the final nails in the coffin of championships like Formula Renault 3.5 and the Euro Series. But wait a minute, this this super license, hasn't it improved the quality of pay drivers at least? So if I look back in my history, I would rather have Stroll and Latifi than 
Diniz and Chilton. So, so the super license, in a way, has that has not that not worked? Well, pay drivers, I think, are a lot better than they were back in those days. Anyway, just because the whole way you can prepare drivers now mm. is, is yeah, so true. much better the standard has really really been raised so we wouldn't end up with that kind of scenario uh if if the super license was abolished the the point system was abolished my problem with it is that it just it stops these sideways moves of people coming across from WEC or from from indycar and that for me is less interesting so it's the waiting that we're talking about here Mm. It, it's it's that you know how earlier spanners when you said we want the best drivers doing the best thing i remember in the nothing. best cars mm. or maybe that was jeansy i don't know somebody said that but what it's stopping is pato award now this is his second brush with the super license issue um because he originally was a red bull junior he'd won indy lights he'd won an imsa thing they thought he had enough points red bull juniors put him on super formula they were going to bring him to Formula One. And he's an American driver. He's Mexican, but he's an American driver. And you know that if there's anything that Liberty would really like to have right now, it's an American driver in this sport. But then they begin to look at it and apply their rules. And the next thing you know, his points didn't really count the way they were supposed to. And so they said, well, why don't you go race IndyCar? Because that's unfair to you. You know, we sort of brought you mm. on under this premise. But let's face it, Red Bull, the team, didn't even understand the super license rules well enough the points well enough to bring somebody into their fold. And now he's back with McLaren. He could be, he could be the person who walks into the team after Ricardo goes over to whatever team now gives him more money than McLaren gives him. Sorry, Australia. That wasn't really a diss. I mean, I think that's fair. Okay. I, I, I think this stems back to a greater issue that Formula One has though, which is that space on the grid is just not there for things like that. We can't even fit the Formula 2 champion on oh, the F1 grid yeah. this year. How are we going to fit IndyCar drivers or WEC drivers or Super Formula drivers as well? There are By the having a bigger grid! I, I say this over and over yes. again. I can't just keep... Have a massive grid. Bigger grids are much better. You want entertainment? 30 cars. And uh, don't do Monaco. Oh, sorry, <laughs> Hungara Ring. 30 cars... Grand Prix circuits, Cota, Silverstone, Spa-Francorchamps. That's why is this so hard, Alex? Why is this difficult? Uh, Big grids. I'd love, I'd love to see thirty Formula One cars yes, going around Monaco. Yes, of course. No. I think it would be. I think thirty F one cars going around Monaco would be incredible. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, well, hopefully, bringing in the cost cap might actually encourage more teams to come to the sport. No, but what it they won't then have. But what, but what they then have to do is also extend the payout for the teams. You can't just pay the top 10 teams because that's what killed the three new teams that yeah, came into the sport was did. they weren't given a chance to even be competitive and then they're given no money, yet they're giving extra money to Ferrari for no good but reason. You, you, could, you can't get new teams in because they have to pay a massive entry fee. Remove that! Oh my god, I'm having to sit so far away from the mic. I'm so <laughs> There's so much they could do to encourage more teams to come in. They can get rid of this 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 entry fee, however much it is. I mean, I don't I know it's just it's insane million. amount of money. It's bonkers. Million. Because but, because that could run a team, a small team for a year. So it's absolutely ridiculous. They obviously <laughs> don't want more cars on the grid. Because if they wanted more cars on the grid, they wouldn't have so many boundaries up to it. I don't know what the reason for them not wanting it, but 
definitely. Oh. We need more teams. Hang on, Matt, so, so, Matt, a little one then, Chris. Yeah, well, if they could afford more teams on the grid, they'd be delighted to have them. But let's recall, Formula One is not a cheap sport, and per your small teams, they Make also... Make it cheaper! Oh my god, this isn't hard! They bit the bullet because they were cheaper. also promised a cost cap, and it never came in. Chris. Right. right. So we have a cheaper sport, yes, cost cap, yes, and it's getting cheaper every year, okay? The problem with the entry fee, though, is that it's basically to stop the prize pot being diluted because if you just have the same amount of money but that's suddenly then being shared between 11 12 13 teams then every team gets less money so the reason we have the entry fee is so that everyone still gets the same amount as it were tell that's a ferrari they don't get the same amount no team gets the yeah, same Chris. amount because williams Williams get extra concession because they're a, they're an old team. So do Ferrari. Um, I'm pretty certain Mercedes get a hell of a lot of money because of how much they provide for the sport. Along with Red away. Bull for be along with Red Bull for I bet there's still stuff there. Half the I bet half the reason for the conversation between Mercedes and the FIA after Abu Dhabi coming knocked all that information not coming out is I bet money's been pushed under the table and it's speculation, please. Um, but it's it's not a fair playing field and F1 needs to be a fair playing field and the cost cap will keep coming down is what we are being told. And if the cost cap keeps coming down and they can get rid of that entry fee cost, as long as a team can guarantee they'll be in the sport, then we'll get more teams. Even, even two or three more teams would be, yeah. would be epic. What about five more, five more, Matt? I love it. I love it. But if we're talking about fair level playing fields and we're talking about super license points, I'm just going to make this one comparison, which is if you finished third in the IndyCar championship, you get the same number of points as finishing second in Formula Regional European Championship, oh, really? which is a rung mm. below Formula 3. <laughs> if we're looking to get the best drivers in the seats... You're going to have to do better than okay. that. Thank you, Christopher Fonseca, who has nominated me for FIA president. I will do it. I have some free time, so I will make myself available for that role. And as president of the FIA, I will simply purchase IndyCar and then make it part of the FIA structure and then increase the license points for that. But if you did have more teams, you know, you'd have more freedom. And yeah, let's stick the IndyCar champion in Formula One. Let's end the argument that the standard of driving is lower in IndyCar and Formula One because you will have a season with 30 cars where that includes three IndyCar drivers. The the champion decides to come over as the two midfield guys and they come over and you know what? They make a blimmin' good show of it considering they're having to get used to new cars and then everyone goes, yeah, those, those, uh, those people, they do well. They're good drivers and one of them stays on the next season and wins the championship. And then finally, we, we break that argument. There you go, Matt. There you go. Love it. I solved it. That's right, isn't it? It's easy, this podcasting lark. You just solve very complicated problems by yelling far away from a microphone. I don't know why, no one, don't know why no one else hasn't thought of it. We're coming to the end of the show, but we are going to do a meet the panel. Uh, and we're going to meet our new young Australian panellist, uh, Jono, in just a moment. But I do want to encourage you to come go-karting with us. MissedApexPodcast.com forward slash karting, where you can race Alex Van Jean. Uh, although I, I'd consider, honestly, I'm so tempted on track. I see you behind me and I think, oh, shall I fight Alex? It's like, no, because 
you're better you're a better driver than me but also i just i just feel like i'm gonna die every time i'm near you on track i'm gonna be midfield anyway i'm carrying far too much covid weight performance ballast because uh, you were too good i'm carrying far too much performance ballast (laughs) um because i've been so good at eating over Mm. covid and uh, yeah, I'm, I, if you're in the midfield, you can expect to fight me. Mm. It won't be like at Buckmore when I was at my slimmest and I was fighting will to win with Brad. It ain't going to be like this, that this time. However, I am very confirmed that Danny, our, um, our eye racing champ, champ yeah. is very, very, very keen to lose a lot of weight because he wants to beat Brad. There's so. no better diet motivation than that. Uh, do come and join us. I think we do have eight or nine missed apex people on the grid so it should be good places are going to run out so missedapexpodcast.com forward slash karting to get involved alex where can people follow you on social media and that i'm on at alex van Jean on twitter at um just look for my name on youtube as well it's v-a-n-g-e-e-n mm-hmm. um i'm not doing as many streams these days but i am in the process of making a noobs guide to the Nürburgring because you can go and watch Brad go around the Nürburgring, but you mm. can't go as fast as Brad, but no. you can probably go as fast as me. Yeah. So I'm going to do a, this is how you do a, an okay lap. So, so like when Brad does a guide, it's okay. It's like, okay. To, to get the maximum speed out this corner, you want to transfer your weight in this phase of braking and then, and then accelerate to carry. And what I want to know is this corner is the one where you're most likely to crash and ruin your car for your teammate. That's the guide I need. Here is how you cumbersomely, 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 that's the word. Mm. Here's how you cumbersomely go around this particular corner and not die and not lose too much time. Um, I think that might be appreciated. And then once you've mastered my one, you can then go watch Brad's. Click the links in the show notes below to get everyone's social media like Chris, who is at Chris on Racing still, I presume. That is me. Okay, cool. Go and follow Chris. Well, that was quick and easy. And please, you, please do. And you can follow Matt at MattPT55. He does things like advertise his wife's books at A Weaver Writes, but he also gives out awards like... Comment of the Week. Yeah, you thought I was going to forget. You thought I could see your eyes. You thought, but no. We reward yeah. the best comments in our patron live chat. Give us some candidates and tell us who's the winner. That was smooth, mm, my friend. Yeah. All right. Um, we are going to start with uh, so many choices. Um, Mac Mike Stoner. Max now has car number one because he has got one world driver's championship, which means Lewis needs to win another 37. That's not how the numbers work, Mike. And you know it, Alex. Oh, you put your hand up. Uh, I got, I got um, Jose, who said McLaren has been selling parts as NFTs for a while now. We're talking about spare parts on cars. Oh my gosh, NFT, NFTs, Matt. Right, I don't want to have this. I didn't want to have this argument like on the proper show. But <laughs> NFTs, are, are the, you and me have been to the Tate Modern in London. You, yes. me, and my family, and I was the only one who realized that all modern art is a complete scam. Now that NFTs are a thing, surely you can see the similarities between NFTs and modern art. No, because modern art is actually a physical object you can hang on your wall. It's, no, it's like a bit of rope or a pallet or something. Van Jean. Uh, since we started talking <laughs> about new F1 teams, the yeah. chat has literally just been full of new F1 team names, but when talking about weight loss for the karting, uh, Chris Fonseca, our usual funny man in the chat, says <laughs> Weight Watchers F1 uh, points points in both senses of the word. <laughs> Matt, who's our other candidates, please? 
All right. Uh, we're going to go with Stuart Neal um, talking about Lewis Hamilton being off social media. Lewis was celebrating the constructor's title. As we all know, that is the only title that people care about. Yes, now in some camps. Carry on. <laughs> uh, Maria Kledos, uh regarding the world of F1 once uh, Lance Stroll goes on, says... Uh, worried F1 being worried about losing Canadian fans when he goes says thank God Latifi will carry the torch on both very lovely people there's no there's Absolutely. no <laughs> and I know Chris uh, Chris is Latifi Fosi so I love I love Nicholas Latifi yeah he's gonna fly the flag for Canadia Canadia um, yeah Canadia yes okay. let's pretend Canadia. he did that on purpose Matt this <laughs> segment is going on a very long time I am sorry uh Mechanical Grip has decided to call Christian Horner Winger Spice Okay, right. Okay, that's All an right. insult. I'm that's just, just an insult. It's an ad hominem attack. And then finally, we have Sandra Reynolds, 24, suggesting that Halford should be the suppliers of standard parts to Formula One. <laughs> okay. Halford's being a auto part supplier in the UK. Other auto part suppliers are available. Matt, who's our winner? Oh, I think our winner has to be Sandra Reynolds, make Halford suppliers of standard parts. Comment of the week. Okay, that brings us to the end of the show, but there is still the Meet the Panel. Please do go and follow Alex Van Jean, Chris at Chris on Racing, and Matt at MattPT55. I do love these uh, Meet the Panel segments because it gets uh, it gets a chance to kind of be nosy about the guys that are on the panel when they're not talking about Formula One. The previous season, we've had a, a, a lot of new voices on Miss Apex podcast, and I, and I hope that will continue. So... Whilst we're going to be doing the Missed Apex Meet the Panel throughout the off-season, I'm hoping that as new people join us, we'll also do these little segments throughout the season as well. So uh, you know, strap in. If, you, if you're not interested, that's fine. If you just are here for the F1 news, then now is the time to check out. And we'll be back next Sunday with a new show. Matthew Carter is coming up soon. And Joe Sayward will be back on Missed Apex podcast. I don't know when... We've issued Joe a big giant, like a bat, like a bat signal, but with a giant M. And when we see that in the sky above the shed, we run in and record an inside F1 episode with Joe. What's that supposed to be? His vengeance. Is that a Batman quote? It's this from the Batman trailer, the new Batman movie that's coming out this year. I didn't know there was one. There's a Batman with Robert Pattinson in it. It looks mega. Oh, so it's going to be a vampire Batman. Okay, fine. Whatever. I, I, I don't know the... the mo- I, I'm, if anyone I'm... listening got that... I'm not a fan of Robert on, Pattinson as Hit a, me as up Batman. on Twitter. Right, this isn't the Batman show. This is the Mistake Apex <laughs> podcast, and we're going to meet the panel right now. <laughs> Introducing... Jonathan Simon. Jono, thanks for dropping into the shed. Oh, thanks for having me, mate. Right. Always a pleasure. Yeah, you're over in the other side of the world. Which which bit mm. of Australia? Uh, Melbourne, Australia. Born and grew up here as well. Ah, uh, okay. The neighbour's city. Ramsey Street. That's how we know it. Yeah, I see. That's the thing. I don't understand how you Brits watch more neighbours than I reckon anybody I know in Australia. Yeah, it makes no sense. We were absolutely obsessed with it, and all our knowledge of Australia comes from the TV program Neighbours. Oh God, 
I feel sorry for Australia. That is poor publicity. Is it? I'm sorry to say that, neighbours. <laughs> well, I feel sorry for Australians because whenever it comes to F1, you have to watch stuff at a very funny mm-hmm. time, I guess, especially in the European leg. Uh, tell me a little bit about the viewing experience of an Australian in F1. So everything apart from the Asian races and the Australian races are at ridiculously poor time. So you're talking about every European race is 11 p.m. or 10 p.m., somewhere around then. And then you're like, oh, a night race around an Asian city. This will be great. No, (laughs) they schedule it for 11 p.m., 10 p.m., perfect European time. Then you talk (laughs) about the Abu Dhabi final we just had recently for 2021, 12 a.m., Saudi Arabia, 4 a.m., Don't get me started on Brazil at 3 a.m. That was a cracker to watch in 2008, and I would have been celebrating more had I not been so tired. Completely out of it, I'll bet. So what's the the sort of the risk-reward of of watching it, if you like? Do you tune in religiously for every race, or do you go, well, Paul Ricard, dead rubber, I can probably catch that one (laughs) in the morning? Well, it it just depends on what's going on in my life. Definitely when I was working full-time, there wasn't many opportunities to watch 3 a.m. races. So then you show up to work the next day, you haven't watched it, you're avoiding the news all day, you're avoiding your phone, then you get to watch it in the evening. It's just not the same. Um, Yeah, it it isn't the same. And I have to say, a quick note on spoilers, if, mm -hmm. if you're not watching the race live, it's completely down to you to avoid everything. Like if you find yeah. out in any way, shape or form, it's only your fault. And the problem is with smartphones these days and everything, I have this muscle memory to wake up in the morning, check my yep. texts yep. and avoid all my friends for a full day. They think they hate me, but I'm just trying to avoid the F1 results, <laughs> avoid social media, avoid everything. And then after 24 hours, I could have missed out on a million dollars that was offered to you me because been, I didn't check my texts. You could have been going viral. Yeah. So poor, poor Australia. I do always feel for you guys uh, and the timings around the race. But you were talking about mm. there when you were working full time. So you, you quit the full-time world, again, like quite a few of us on the panel, to try and be a full-time professional show-off. Uh, yes, yeah. that is to say it humbly. Yes, a show-off. Um, I, uh, so I, I graduated from university. I did a Bachelor of Business, majored in management, did a finance major as well, went oh. straight into the corporate world, worked at KPMG, which is a brilliant firm out there, one of the top firms you can uh, go to for corporate management, did some consulting work. Um, And then ended up thinking, wait a second, I feel like I'm much better at commentating, presenting, podcasting. Why can't I chase that as a career? I also coach basketball to the side. I've been doing that as well. And so uh, really trying to take the presenting thing seriously. So let's see how the next few years goes. So it's worse than I thought. You you gave up like Mm. a really good like corporate world job to try and be a (laughs) professional show off. Parents proud? Uh, Initially, (laughs) no. Initially, they were they did object to it and they said, no, you can't be doing this. But they didn't understand how determined and how much self-belief I had in myself. And it's not an arrogance thing. It's more it, it's something I think you can't teach. Like, for example, um, I, I really feel I can be good at almost anything, but not without hard work. For example, I suck right now if I played football or, or soccer or whatever you want to call it. But I know if I like took lessons for a year and I, I trained, like I could become really good. And that's the mentality I have with anything I do, whether it's uh, not only just work, but presenting basketball, sports. Uh, I'm a big investor. I love investing. It's a hobby of mine. Anything like that, um, I'm really into. So, um, so initially, yeah. I, I, I quit. 
moved on. Um, and it seems to be working so far. Um, I've been working with supercars recently, which has been awesome. I made it onto television. I've been working with Mist Apex, which is great, and a whole lot more. So um, so it's been a fun ride for the, fa- for the past few years. But the journey is only beginning, I reckon. Yeah, Mist Apex, definitely the best out of all of that lot. Mm. I like it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not being arrogant or anything. I can just be good at anything <laughs> I try. But that, that, Exactly. But, but this is something mm. I'm trying to teach my kids now, which is that hard yeah. work is actually a superpower. And it sounds like you, you have that work ethic instilled. And, and that, I think it's an underrated skill. I, I think, you know, you have a, a very strong work ethic as well that a lot of people don't see behind the scenes. And, and that's what sort of, you know... I wish people could see the amount of hard work that we get up to, to, to do what we do. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not one to be arrogant and brag about the fact that I'll stay up till 4am a lot of nights working on different projects and working on different things, you know, and neither would you, you just get the job done and the results show with the number of followers for the podcast or whatever project you're doing. So that, that to me is, is the best mentality to have is, is just let your results do the speaking. Uh, yeah. And we have a shared idol actually I, I always notice it every time in your background you've got a, a mm-hmm. poster of conan o'brien there in, <laughs> in the background who i think is just one of the best presenters and interviewers mm-hmm. in the business you know it's not a controversial view but it's the way that that nothing is a dead end to him everything flows and there's a, a self-confidence and belief that you can head off down a cul-de-sac and and you'll recover it he can i mean you and i might might reach a dead end but certainly mm-hmm. something to aspire to yeah, he's the best. Uh, I love his comedy. I love, you know, the sort of where he's come from and how he's made himself from not a, a typical background and everything. He sort of earned his way onto show business, not to say that others haven't, but um, mostly with him, it's his comedy that I really like and the way he writes, the way he thinks. I, I'm sort of obsessed with people who are dominant at what they do. So I'm talking your Schumacher's Hamilton's, your Conan O'Brien's, your Roger Federer's. Like, yeah. I'm not really into the underdog. Um, I used to be when I was younger, but the older I got, I really just like winning. And that's what I like to do. But you do commentate on people winning and losing. Uh, tell me about mm-hmm. supercars. How did you get into that? Oh, man, that's uh, I'll try and wrap this up quickly uh, with supercars because it's a long story. But uh, initially, they had an E-series that launched. And I thought to myself, well, let's get into contact with somebody who's working on it. Um, I managed to just send them my details. They had no clue who I was. They were really impressed by me. And it sort of, in my opinion, is a law of averages because I'd gone through a rough patch for six months where nobody would even respond to me. Nobody would want anything to do with me for six months. And yeah, I was like, well, maybe I should give up. Maybe I, I should commentate. That, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you, we've all been through it. And then all of a sudden, one person sees the bright side in you and they gave me a chance. And I really forced my way on. Initially, I don't think they even knew who I was. I really told them, hey, look, you're going to need a pit reporter for this series who knows what they're talking about. You need me. I got on. I impressed. I got lucky with the pandemic and lockdown because then there were no sports on. So not only did they run the E-Series in 2019, in 2020, they ran everything. They had F1 drivers on. They had the entire series, the real commentators and since then, it's just blown up for me, which has been um, a bit lucky, but a, a lot of hard work. What do you what do you uh, do when you set about a, a commentary, a commentary job, a commentary position? What's your what's your approach? Because there's so many different approaches to commentary. Mm-hmm. I I'm personally I'm not a fan of the the screaming commentators. So look, <laughs> we all love our Murray mm-hmm. Walker and David Croft is particularly talented at what he does. Mm-hmm. I just 
I don't I don't find the that kind of fever pitch commentary actually to be something something I like. I like a more descri- descriptive commentary. Mm-hmm. I, I almost like I don't need help being excited. I'm I'm already excited. It's race cars. But you've just defined commentary in that some people like different things compared yeah. to others. In my opinion, there's no number one great commentator around the world. Everybody is good at a certain aspect. There's one good screamer, one good calm guy, <laughs> one good entertainer. Uh, with me, I will sort of respond to what's required of me from the series. So I don't, I bring in my own flavor and my style. I'm not one to yell and scream and shout. I'm one to just be entertaining. Um, keep it lighthearted. But also when producers require something out of you for a certain show or certain racing series, you need to adapt to what they want for the series. So um, it depends on what they want to at the same time. Mm, I think a lot of commentators have kind of grown up in that Murray Walker mold where they feel like, oh my God, look at this. This is the most Mm. exciting thing in the world. Dude, it's two stroke carts. Chill. We're good, you know, it's fine. Um, but when I certainly, when I do the karting commentary from time to time, I do like to just, you know, observe and have fun with it and be light. And I sometimes do wish that more commentary would would take itself less seriously. I think in, in Australia, whenever I've caught any Aussie commentators, they've been yeah. funny and they've been fun. <laughs> yeah, well, you watched the Supercars E series for a round when I, I sent it to you a couple months ago and, and you loved it. And we were, <laughs> I know it's the E series, so it's a little different, but the amount... The way that we're able to joke around when we need to and also be lighthearted and then take it seriously when the racing comes down to the final three laps, we can do that. We can adapt just off the click of the fingers. And um, I really love how Australia does it. Um, It doesn't fit the mold. I know I've worked with people, for example, from the US who absolutely hate uh, jokes and and you have to be super serious for every broadcast. Um, So you have to adapt yourself, which is fine. That's the product they're looking for. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I love the way us Aussies do it. I love the way the Brits do it too. Uh, yeah, the Brits can have kind of like a, a dry humor, and some. But sometimes, mm. you know, when you when you put like a an out and out caller, I'm not gonna, I'm not naming any names, but then they Go. they try to <laughs> they try to fill in with bants and humor, and it doesn't mm-hmm. land, you know. But I think like the Australian commentary, especially like in cricket as well, just seems to have a, a naturally more fun tone. It's like, look, we are here for entertainment, you know. It's, that it's not life and death. It's not politics. We are here to make you smile. 100%. You know, funny story about that. I was leaving the 2019 F1 Grand Prix, I think, at Australia. Bumped into Crofty, who I had a chat to for about 15 minutes. Oh, he nice. literally spoke to me and gave me a lot of commentary advice, telling me how to do this, how to do that. Um, one thing I learned from Crofty that I've taken to heart is... He is the most well-spoken person I've ever bumped into in person in my life. And that made me aspire since then. It's almost been three years that anybody that bumps into me, I want to be the most well-spoken person they've ever met. So um, that's something I really learned a lot from Crofty without him teaching me. That's interesting, like leaving a good impression as well. And the thing Mm. is, he is a wordsmith. And I know he gets a lot of grief from people, but he's technically his delivery of voice and the way things come across with clarity are are brilliant. And, you know, he's going to get things wrong. Obviously, Murray Walker got every other thing wrong and you needed Brundle there to actually explain what was happening. One last thing. I know we're running a bit over time, but um, the are we not running over time? We're, we're, we're you, good? Cr- you crack on, Jono. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, nah, stuff it. Let's just go for another 30 minutes. Stuff I'll, the rest of the podcast. I'll edit all this you know? out anyway. It's fine. Yeah. So with commentary as well, and, and you've obviously you've done yourself a lot of commentary is um, 
anyone who's seen my notes, and I'm not the only person, but you do not understand how much prep goes into commentary. Like, uh, for example, for supercars, I think I had about 20 to 30 pages of notes. Not all of those are handwritten every round. Some of them are repeats. For example, I've got automated spreadsheets. And this is, and again, another thing I learned from, from Crofty is I can pinpoint through a spreadsheet that I can uh, print out for any race when the last podium was for a driver. And it's right there for me. I've got that information. But I don't just print it out and blindly look at it for the first time during a broadcast. I study it. I make sure I see something that's interesting for the viewers. I've got my own notes, track facts, everything like that. Um, I really wish people could um mm. could see the effort we do and, and, and put all the effort we put in. Even for our Missed Apex iRacing series, we've got a livery mm-hmm. guide so the commentators can pick out cars easily. Mm-hmm. We've got an interesting mm-hmm. facts about the drivers, specific talking points that we want to cover. We have a meeting beforehand and talk about tone and procedures. And mm-hmm. we, we think about, right, what is around the action? What is the viewer actually interested in seeing? Are they interested in seeing particular drivers we want to make sure that the champ is on camera even if he's in 20th i don't know and then you go right back and forth what do we as a a crew what what story do we want to deliver in and around the championship and here's here's a good bit of advice for anyone Mm -hmm. listening Mm -hmm. trying to do any stuff like this is have a notepad and pen with you all the time because whilst you're talking i will think of something and by the time you've finished that will have gone and so i always have a notepad and pen to tell me what it is I want to talk about. And the thing I just wrote down was, talk about having a notepad and pen ready all the time. (laughs) And I just put that on my notepad and pen. (laughs) Or you can do what I learned from work, where you show up to a meeting and never show up to a meeting without a notepad and pen. And if you're somebody like me who doesn't take notes, what I do is I've got a blank page. I just write down like what I want to eat for dinner and random stuff. And they think I'm writing stuff about the work meeting. See, and now, that's a great way to look professional. See, Genius, now, eh? now, now we're into blagging. George Costanza said that if you want to look busy all the time, just like be angry at the desk and people think you're busy all the time. <laughs> that's yeah, you never really get good. work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or just make sure all your freelance work is in a shed away from other human beings uh jono we wish you the best of luck uh presumably mm-hmm. you're not going back to the corporate world anytime soon you're going to keep trying I, i'm i'm not sure i i <laughs> probably not yes let's <laughs> probably see. If, not yes. if, you, if you don't run out of food probably not mm-hmm. all right excellent jono thanks for joining us and thanks for dropping into the shed uh, you're not on twitter are you I am. I am oh. at Johnny S eight J O N N Y E S S eight. Somebody took my real name, so I yeah, it's it. a really terrible Twitter handle. You're yeah. gonna I, let's do something snappy like Johnny Blaze or something like that. We'll we'll that's come like up. a that that's a star name. I'd rather not. Well, is well, it really? Is it a star name? Might be a better alternative than going back to the <laughs> business world. Jonathan <Yes>. Simon. <laughs> Jono, Jono there, uh, regaling us uh, with the intricacies required to be a commentator and to forge a path through commentating and media. And he he has a very infectious personality, one of the new voices that we've had in Missed Apex in 2021. I think one of our greatest strengths is bringing in people who can bring different point of views. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, that does mean bringing in impossibly young people that make me feel jealous look at him with his life ahead of us uh, with his life ahead of him so we have 2022 
ahead of us, and we hope we have some good content ahead. So join us here at Missed Apex Podcast. We'll be back next Sunday from 8pm. Join us live wherever we see you next. Work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Music this week by Gareth Murray. Thanks for that, Gareth. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.